And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. On this program, within the milieu of history, theology, and current events, we attempt to explore a variety of questions of interest, which have been brought to our attention by either you, the listener, or items that we've dug up as we prepared for this program. Joining me today in the studio, Rev. Mark Diedrich, serving as pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Hi. And Dr. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor of Ulster County Community College. Hi, Dan. On our agenda today is another question, and this one deals with the First Amendment. And I'm going to let Hans articulate that question for us. Well, as I'm sure all of our listeners are aware, part of the First Amendment to our Constitution guarantees freedom of religion. And in particular, there are two parts to that. It says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's what's known as the Establishment Clause. Okay. Or prohibit the free exercise thereof. And that second part is known, of course, as the Free Exercise Clause. Mm -hmm. And so what we wanted to look at today is how that came about and what the ramifications have been of that in American history. One of the things I think when you're you're looking at this whole situation is to understand how unique Christianity is among the world religions. Most of the world religions are religions that the externals are very important. In other words, if you look at Islam, as long as you do, what are the five pillars of Islam? And if you hold to those five pillars, okay, you're a Muslim. And therefore, they can have a state religion and say, this is what you must do. And, mm-hmm. and therefore, you're, you're a Muslim. Christianity is not that way. Mm-hmm. Christianity is a religion of the heart, as we even see in Isaiah 29, where God says, You draw close to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Right. You know, and even when David talks about his sin with Bathsheba, he says, um, Would you desire sacrifice? I would give them to you. But what you desire is a clean and upright heart. Mm -hmm. And so you have the whole concept being a heart religion. Well, how can you dictate a heart religion? You cannot. Mm -hmm. You can evangelize. You can try to encourage people. But you cannot force them to accept Christianity. And so this uh, First Amendment here, the first clause... Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Basically, correct me if I'm wrong, this is saying there's a freedom of religion. I got a note from you, Hans, reminding us there's a difference between the freedom of religion and freedom from religion. Right. The Establishment Clause says that there will not be any established, state-funded, state-controlled church in Mm -hmm. the United States. And that is a radical departure in the context of world history. In the medieval ages, the principle had been that there was to be, at least in theory, one king, one faith, one Mm -hmm. law. Now let me ask you this. In the minds of the people in that day, when this First Amendment is being created, what kind of religious presuppositions did the people have in the back of their mind that perhaps they haven't coded here for us in the First Amendment. What do they mean, respecting and establish of religion? Are they thinking um, on equal terms, Muslim faith, Christian faith, 
Hindu faith? Not at all. Mm -hmm. At that time, they were thinking in terms of the Christian worldview, and even more Christian, although it would fit the Judeo-Christian worldview. There were any number of Jews that were living in the United States at the time. Mm -hmm. Muslims, almost not at all. In fact, uh, still by this time, Islam and the Turk, that was terror to most people. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hindu, it was so far removed from the culture that it was not even thought of at that time. So what they're talking about is really no establishment of a denomination. They didn't want the Anglicans, you know, saying, okay, the king or the queen is the head of the Church of England, and this is the state church. They didn't want that. So that was really the intent there, no establishment of a denomination as such. It wasn't saying... We're equally open to all religions, whether they're true or false religions. Right. In the colonial period, um, many but not all of the colonies did have established churches as Mm -hmm. the Hmm. European states did. In New England, of course, it was the Congregational Church, the Church of the Puritans. Mm -hmm. In the southern colonies, it was the Anglican Church, the Church of England. Uh, In the middle colonies, however, New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania, um, as well as Rhode Island, There was not an established Mm -hmm. church, however, in part because there was so much religious diversity in those colonies that no one denomination had a majority and was in a position to make a case for being an established Mm -hmm. church. Now, just get us into the dates. Uh, When was this text written for the Constitution? Well, the First Amendment is adopted along with the rest of the Bill of Rights, the First Ten Amendments, in 1791 is when they're ratified. They're actually written by James Madison in 1789 in the first uh, Mm -hmm. session of Congress, but then it takes a couple of years to get them passed and to get them ratified by the states. Okay, good. So clearly this text here is not saying that we advocate a freedom from religion, so at the very core of people's assumption is pretty much the, the Christian faith. In in fact, it was John Adams who said that he didn't think this form of government would work for anybody else but a Christian nation. Ah, yes, I remember that. I had forgotten that, yes. We're uh, almost coming up on a break here. You're listening to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're looking at the First Amendment, what it means, how it applies today, what were the intents of that First Amendment, and a reminder that your questions are taken seriously. Feel free to email them to us. Just go to our website, www.redeemerbroadcasting.org. There you'll find a link to contact us. Use that email address. It'll pop right up. Send your questions, and we will consider them, and hopefully they'll become part of a future program. So um, stay with us now as we take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, 
Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Hi, Dan. And Dr. Hans Vogt, associate professor at Ulster County Community College. We've been talking about the First Amendment, and uh, let me just read the text here to refresh our memories. It says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. You'll notice it says Congress shall make no law. This Ah, is an amendment that restricts the federal government. And so up until the 1940s, this was left largely to the states. There were a couple of cases that involved uh, the federal government, but what happens in the 1940s is that the Supreme Court applies the First Amendment to the states, and the, the way they do that is through the 14th Amendment, the Due Process and Equal Protection Clauses of the mm-hmm. 14th Amendment. But a key case here occurs in 1947. It's the case of Everson versus the Board of Education. And in his majority opinion, Justice Hugo Plack took a phrase from a private letter that Thomas Jefferson had written about the need for a wall of separation between church and state. And Justice Black applied that to the way the Supreme Court interpreted the First Amendment. So he declared, and I quote from his opinion, neither a state nor the federal government can pass laws which aid one religion, aid all religions, or prefer one religion over another. No tax in any amount can be levied to support any religious activities or institutions. And so this opened the door for Hmm. uh, the later challenges to school prayer and a whole slew of of similar Mm -hmm. cases. Now, going back to that letter that you referred, who was that written to and what was really at stake as to why that letter was written? Yeah, it was written to the Danbury Baptists, and of course they were upset because um, in Connecticut... And in Massachusetts at that time, the Congregationalists were the official religion, and uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes they put their thumb on the Baptists, and of course the Baptists had to pay taxes which went to support the Congregationalist churches. Mm -hmm. Right. The state of Massachusetts uh, kept the Congregational Church as the established church until 1833, uh, and Connecticut Mm -hmm. until 1818. And even during the Revolution, um, a Massachusetts Baptist, Isaac Backus, had complained. And he said, look, you're upset about a tax on tea, uh, and you're talking about taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. Well, we Baptists are taxed without representation. We have to pay to support the church we don't go to, and then pay to support the church we do go to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not fair. So I guess you could say they saw this as being a law respecting an establishment of religion, basically, and they felt that their rights were being violated. Is that safe to say? That's right, that the Congregationalists were being favored over them because they they received, here again, they received the taxes directly, and unfortunately, after 1947, this thing becomes more and more distorted. So mm-hmm. that I think it was a few years ago, it was a Grove City College. There was a student there 
that received federal aid because he was handicapped, and therefore they said Grove City College has to meet all the criterion of a public Mm -hmm. institution because of the federal money given to a handicapped student. To me, it goes goes nuts. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt you. What about this language, this wall of separation? What did Jefferson really mean by that as he wrote to the Baptists? Well, Jefferson uh, was uh, a deist, uh, very influenced by the Enlightenment. Jefferson, in fact, had very carefully cut out of his Bible everything he disagreed with. Uh, and so, which basically meant all the supernatural, all the miracles, okay. uh, and what he was left with, and you can actually buy, I think um, you can buy editions of Jefferson's Bible, mm-hmm. uh, was the moral and ethical teachings of Jesus. Okay. So, for Jefferson, um, disputes about doctrine, about uh, how and when you baptize people or so forth, that was mm-hmm. irrelevant to him, okay. um, because he simply was only concerned about the, the moral and ethical teachings of Jesus. So right. for Jefferson, the government should not support any one church because it simply was not necessary. And yet it sounds that even though Jefferson has this deist perspective, it's still in the uh, Christian realm. You know, if you divide the world religions up, he's more closer to being Christian than he is, let's say, um, a Hindu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, it was the Bible that is what he carved up. It wasn't uh, yeah. anything else. It wasn't the Koran. It was the Bible that mm-hmm. he did carve up. You're Interesting. right. And in that case, uh, he was. Also, when you're looking at that, it was that the government should stay out of the religions. Now, that wasn't carte blanche. And even with the Baptists, they recognized that if there were religions that had perversions in them, moral perversions, then the government could step in. And in fact, that was the case, uh, especially mm-hmm. with the Mormons and polygamy. Mm-hmm. So you have that kind of thing. The government can step in and say, polygamy, we're not going to allow it. Yeah. So here's another question, and Hans, I think you raised this, and that is how the lack of an established state church has helped Christianity in America. Well, part of the background, of course, for this was the series of religious revivals which had swept through the colonies prior to the revolution known as the Great Awakening, and which had really introduced uh, evangelical pietism to America. Uh, You have uh, itinerant preachers like George Whitfield and uh, Gilbert Tennant and others Hmm. Uh, And what came out of that was a host of new denominations like the Baptists, new lights among the Congregationalists, new side Presbyterians. And they all saw Christianity as not only a matter of assent to doctrine or confessions or creeds, but as Mark said at the beginning of the broadcast, as a matter of the heart. Mm. And that heart repentance and conversion were necessary for true faith. Mm-hmm. So, just as deists like Jefferson were worried about too much church interference with the government, so many of these evangelicals were worried about the opposite. They were, didn't want the government trying to restrict their faith and tell them oh, what sure. they could or couldn't believe or practice. Sure. So, in that way, you can really see the First Amendment as sort of a pragmatic compromise hmm. uh, between the two sides. Mm-hmm. What about today, faith-based groups um, and accepting government funding and that sort of thing? Any comments about that? Yeah, it's it's one of the difficult things. And many faith-based groups will not accept government funding because it will tie their hands. Yeah, there's strings attached to that. And there's always strings attached. And I believe it's because of this kind of thing. 
the government is now saying, well, if you take any money at all that has any string attached to the federal government, then we're going to tell you what you have to do, what you have to teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a it's a horrible distortion, mm-hmm. and I think the Founding Fathers, no doubt, would not approve of what has been going on no, no in doubt the past 50 that. years. Yeah. In recent years, in the past decade or so, the Supreme Court has been moving a little more towards the idea that the government can be neutral but friendly towards all religions. Mm -hmm. Um, And Justice Kennedy actually has been sort of the leader of that movement. Now, whether that will continue or not as changes occur in the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. we'll have to wait and see how Mm -hmm. that works out as new justices come on. Mm -hmm. But one of the, the real difficulties that I have with this is, of course, first off, it's been used to try to silence Christians in certain arenas. If you're in the public arena and you're a Christian... Well, recent cases where chaplains or or pastors have been told they can't end their prayer in Jesus' name Mm. because they're somehow a representative of the government. And that flies in the face of the nature of Christianity, which is an evangelistic type of religion. It's one where Christians have to tell others. And we see some efforts now to try to suppress that. Keep your religion to yourself. Don't say anything to anybody else. Yeah, it's um, it's very acute, isn't it? Because in Christianity, our Lord Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except through him. And so the message of Christianity uh, is very exclusive. There's only one God, uh, mm-hmm. the triune God of the Scriptures. Going back to uh, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I don't know about you, but that second part of it, I'm starting to get the feeling that maybe some of our free exercise is starting to be uh, affected here uh, in the States. Yeah, it really becomes uh, an issue, uh, as Mark said, of what you can reasonably uh, consider to be somebody representing the government. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea that just because the government gives you some money that therefore you become an agent of the government uh, and therefore are no longer allowed to talk or practice your religion really strikes me as absurd. Mm. Um, And it's one thing to say that an elected official should not be proselytizing or evangelizing while he is performing his public duties. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to say that a private citizen or a private organization like a school or a college, um, simply because they get some ancillary funding from the federal government, must therefore silence and not practice or, or preach mm-hmm. what they believe. Um, there's just no grounds for that constitutionally. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the uh, public schools today? Our uh, family chose to homeschool, but certainly I went to a public school, and I know it was very restrictive what could be taught even way back then when I was in public school. Um, in fact, <laughs> I remember in grade school I had brought a little Bible to class with me, and my grade mm-hmm. school teacher reprimanded me that, oh no, you, you can't have this. And that was a long time ago. That was, that was what, in the 60s. So I think things are much worse today. But don't we have kind of a reverse case where, as Christians, we're dutifully paying our taxes, and the things that are taught in the public school have a religious aspect to them, but it's not the religion of Christianity. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we see with the public schools, I remember uh, years ago, somebody made a comment to me. He said, you know, I remember when they took prayer out of school. Now, I'm a little bit older than than either of you guys are here. (laughs) And uh, we did, I went to a a public school where we did open with prayer every day. My French teacher had scripture verses on the board. And that was a public school. Yeah, that was a public school. She had scripture verses on the board. Now, she was able mm. to get away with it because she was a French teacher. So she had them in <laughs> French and Spanish. She was a marvelous linguist, yeah. marvelous Christian woman as well. Mm-hmm. In Latin, in Arabic, and in French, and in Spanish, and in English. So That's you could always understand it. But at any rate, he asked, he said, you know, I don't think I missed the prayer in the school. A lot of these kids weren't really praying anyhow. And and I thought about that, and I said, you you know, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. But what did that say? Mm -hmm. It said to us that here, what we're teaching you now is all you need for life. Mm -hmm. Relationship with God you don't need. Mm. And because of that, the school is actually advocating an atheism. Yeah, I think that was the point. Uh, That was what I was trying to hint at, and that is um, man, it seems to me, is uh, irrevocably religious. And if we don't embrace the God of the Bible, without even thinking about it, we're going to embrace another God, another false God. Uh, You can't get away from humans being religious. Even the atheist is religious. Yeah, the atheist is religious. One of the things that's interesting, if you look at the old McGuffey readers, which were used in the public schools in the 19th century, uh, McGuffey at one point writes and he apologizes for not using more scripture than he has already (laughs) used in there. And, of course, the McGuffey readers uh, would not be allowed today Mm -hmm. uh, as a reader in the school Mm -hmm. because of all the scriptural uh, Mm -hmm. references that he had. Well, this is a plain answer, and we're talking about the freedom of religion in the First Amendment, what that means, and how it applies today. Another factor, of course, that has shaped this has been the tremendous impact of immigration. And particularly in the 20th century, we have seen immigration increasingly from Asia, which has seen, of course, uh, the introduction of uh, other religions uh, that is other than uh, Christianity. And so now you do have a bigger presence of Islam or Hinduism or so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things, however, is that in many cases, those non-Christian immigrants are quite concerned uh, about uh, the lack of a religious presence. Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, in this month's Christianity Today, there's an article about Muslim immigrants in Texas who send their children first to uh, Christian high schools uh. and then to Houston Christian Baptist University because uh, even though they're not Christians, they want that religious influence uh, sure. and those values. Oh, sure. Um, Christians are taught uh, the very fundamentals of how to be moral yeah. and uh, the, the Ten Commandments. That's something that all people, if they live by, it, it benefits a society. It's like they would say a, a no-brainer. <laughs> I think one of the problems that we've had is that we don't want to offend anyone. As Hans said, all this influx of people, and we don't want to offend them. But what is the gospel? Well, Paul talks about the offense of the gospel. And frankly, there are going to be times when the gospel is going to offend people simply because it says it's the only way to God. And uh, it is the only way to God. It's through Jesus Christ. So that becomes an offense to people, and of course that's very offensive in our society today. Mm. This program is uh, running out of time here for this session today, and uh, we probably should highlight that, and that is, um, this is a Christian station you're listening to. Um, This program is called A Plain Answer, 
And the gospel is for you, my friend. Um, Christ uh, died for his people. God holds out salvation to you. Um, it takes a miracle of God such that your heart is awakened so that you can believe the gospel. The call is to you to uh, cry out to him for mercy. He died for your sins, the Bible tells us. He was buried. He rose again the third day from the dead. And so he was victor over death, sin, and the grave. And so the righteousness of Jesus Christ is applied to the sinner's account. It's kind of like a ledger, almost like economics. And so we owe so much to God in terms of being sinners, uh, in terms of being separated from him by our sins, and yet because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, our sins can be forgiven. We can enter into covenant relationship with a God who is our creator, who is our uh, savior, and our coming king. And I might say right now, he is our reigning king, because something else, besides being resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ, we're told, he ascended to the Father's right hand. And he is, even now, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we would invite you to that Savior and uh, the tremendous peace and satisfaction knowing that you are right with God is worth more than anything else you will find in this world. Well, concluding thoughts, gentlemen, uh, we've been considering the First Amendment in our Constitution. We've been talking about how the freedom of religion in this First Amendment, what it means, how it applies today. Any closing thoughts? One thought that I have is we're thankful for that freedom. That is a tremendous freedom that we have. Mm. Sadly, it's getting less and less. All you have to do is look at some of the other nations. You had written something up for us from Greg Bonson, hmm. who noted that when our troops went to free Kuwait, they were not allowed to celebrate Christian oh, or Christmas right. rather, oh, that's because right. Kuwait is an Islamic country. Yeah. And uh, I'm just thankful that we have uh, the freedoms here. Yeah. I hope we don't lose them. Right. I agree with Mark that uh, on the one hand, it's a tremendous blessing. I mean, we only have to look at uh, the European countries, which still have state supported established churches mm. to which almost nobody goes uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, to realize that uh, Christianity in America is far more vibrant because it is not under the control mm-hmm. of a, a king or a legislature. Um, but then also, um, of course, that we need to be vigilant in defending our rights, not in an obnoxious way, but simply that we also have these rights. They're guaranteed by the Constitution, and we are as entitled to them as Christians, as anybody else. That's right. Well, we're out of time for this edition of A Plain Answer. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me today has been Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. Hans Vogt, associate professor at Ulster County Community College in Stone Ridge, New York. Thank you for joining us, and if you have any questions that you would like to raise, we'll consider them on this program. Just send us an email. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. May you have a wonderful day today as you serve our Lord.